John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Bruce Lee, Princess Di, Amy Winehouse, right? These are just some of the many high-profile people who died tragically young. And yet their fame lives on. In fact, uh, their fame even grew more after they died. And we often wonder uh, what some of these people would have gone on to achieve if their lives had not been so tragically cut short. Uh, we think of what would they have actually accomplished if they had just gone on to live a bit longer. Well, today we are concluding our series, as I say, in the Gospel of Mark. It is a short biographical account of the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus also died very young. Jesus died in his 30s. Uh, some, you, many of you have lived longer than, than Jesus did. He died at the age of 33. And we have been going through this biography written by Mark, and we have seen how Jesus was first betrayed by his close disciple, Judas. Uh, we saw how the apostles then went on to run away from Jesus at a critical moment that Jesus needed them. And then we saw how the whole nation, the nation of Israel, turned its back on Jesus. It actually extradited him into to the Roman government. And Pontius Pilate tried him in that sham trial and eventually crucified our Lord. All of this happened when, in fact, Jesus had healed the sick, raised the dead, drove out demons, and even fed people, fed them real food, right? And above all that, he was teaching and preaching, and their, their hearts were moved. He showed them love, and then at the end of this, they brutally killed him in his 30s. And of course, Jesus never sinned. And so we ask ourselves, surely, if there was a man on earth who did not deserve to die young, Jesus fits the bill. He fits the bill. And yet there he was, brutally murdered on that wooden cross of Golgotha, stretched out naked in cold blood between two thieves. And after he died, you remember from last week, he took a secret disciple, Joseph of Arimathea, to give him a decent funeral. Our Lord Jesus Christ, you see, could not afford his own funeral. Though he was rich as God, he willingly chose to live a poor life. In fact, throughout the life of Jesus, he never had a house of his own. He, was a, he had to be put up as a lodger. He, was, he lived a homeless life. And so there we see, even in death, he had to borrow a tomb for his burial. That is the life of Jesus. And if that's all there was to Jesus, right, it would be a tragedy. I mean, we wouldn't be studying the book of Mark here, would we? It would not be worth studying the life of Jesus if that's all there was. Because we just say, that life is worse than our life. But we are in Mark because Jesus did not remain dead. Death was not the end for Jesus. He rose again. And the resurrection of Jesus, therefore, is at the heart of our Christian faith. It is what distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. It is that Jesus died, stayed in the tomb for three days, and then he rose from the dead. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 to 19. Paul writing to the church at Corinth says this, 
And if Christ has not been raised, right? If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But it, but if he did not raise him, if but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Paul is just saying if there's no resurrection of the dead, then obviously Christ wasn't raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. In other words, if Jesus hasn't been raised, all of this is a sham, right? What we're doing here. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. There's no hope for those who are dead if Christ has not been raised. And then he says in verse 19, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, if all of life is just about living for now, right? We of all people are most to be pitied. We need to be pitied more than the non-Christian because we have spent our whole life talking about Jesus, reordering our eyes around Jesus. If you haven't been raised, then, then our life is even worse than somebody uh, who has not trusted in Jesus. So you see, this resurrection is at the heart of a Christian faith. Our faith depends on this historical fact that our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. No resurrection of Jesus, no life with God. But the good news of Jesus is that Jesus rose from the dead. And therefore, because this truth is at the heart of our faith, it's therefore fitting for us to end our journey in Mark by looking at this account of the resurrection of Jesus. They are in Mark chapter 16, verse 1 to 8. And when we look at this account, when you come to the Bible, it's always good to ask yourself, what is the big truth it's trying to communicate? And when we look at this verse, I think the big truth it's trying to communicate to us is this. Jesus is alive to give us a fresh start with God. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Jesus rose from the dead to give us a fresh start with God. A new beginning. Look with me there at verse 1 of Mark chapter 16. Right? It is early Sunday morning. The women who followed Jesus are up. Yeah, we are in Jerusalem in the year 33. The women who followed Jesus, they are up. The day before, they saw Jesus murdered on Good Friday. And now it's Resurrection Sunday, Sunday morning. They are up. They are on the way to the tomb of Jesus near the hill called Golgotha. Let's read verse 1 to verse 2 of Mark 16. It says this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. You see, the women are on their way on a mission to finish off the burial preparations which could not be done on Good Friday. And they couldn't do them on Good Friday because, you see, when there was a Sabbath, there were certain restrictions on what could be done. And so they couldn't finish. When Jesus died, he was placed in the tomb. They couldn't go there and just finish all the work on a Saturday. They had to wait until Sunday. And so here are the three women and other women alongside them. And they are going to the tomb of Jesus, right? To the cemetery. And we imagine as they are going to the tomb, their faces are beaten with grief, right? Because on Friday, they saw their beloved rabbi, their teacher, one they had loved and cared for. They have seen him murdered in cold blood. 
Now, many of you here have attended funerals, right? It is the last time you're going to say goodbye to your loved one before they are cremated or buried. Those are heartbreaking moments when you go to a funeral. And I think the reason why they are heartbreaking moments is not just because of the pain that you've lost someone and you're saying goodbye to them for the last time. But it's also the haunting reminder that one day you too will die. And that's why we don't like going to funerals. <laughs> I've never met anyone who's like, yeah, I want to get out of the funeral. No one does that. We hate going to the funeral. It's terrible. And I think one reason we hate going to the funeral is that we hate seeing death. It reminds us that we will not live on this rock forever. One day your corpse will need a Mary or a Salome to cremate for burial. Now, I know as we sit here Sunday morning, you think this is a depressing thing to hear on a Sunday morning, right? We do not like hearing that. But we need to keep hearing it, you see, because many of us, including those of us who profess to be followers of Jesus, we live like this is the only life we have. We are trying to cramp everything into this life. We live like death is not coming for us. And I think perhaps now is a good time for us, for you to ask yourself this morning, am I ready to die at any moment? And I think especially for Christians, we have to ask ourselves that question. How am I preparing for the death that is coming my way? I don't mean whether you have life insurance, right? Or you have saved up enough to live behind a large portion of money for a little journey, right? I don't mean that. Those things never last. You know, a brother I know this past week in the U.S., his house was completely burnt down. Completely gone. In fact, including the cat that was listed. I'm just emphasizing that it was everything he lost. Just a fire like that. He lost everything. Material things perish just like that. So don't focus on living behind your riches for your family and friends. You're completely misguided if that's your focus. When the time of death comes, leave them Jesus. He is enough. And so the question you have to ask yourself this morning is this. What spiritual legacy as a Christian are you really building for others? How will your family and friends remember your faith in Jesus? That's a question you have to ask yourself every day. When you are dead and you are not there to share Jesus with them as a man, will, you know, little Mary look back and say, Mommy was bananas for Jesus. She loved Jesus. Maybe little Mary has gone off the rails, as it were. She's been living as a rebel. She's forgotten the sermons she heard when she was growing up. And now you are dead and gone. Will she think, when she thinks of her mom, will she say, you know what, my mom loved Jesus. And I haven't thought of him for the last couple of years. And I'm at the end of the road here. I need to have a little talk with Jesus. I need to speak to him. I need to connect with him afresh. Do you see, that's a legacy when I leave our children. We don't want little Mary when you're dead and gone worrying about how much mom left behind. Cash. 
And so I just want to remind you, especially speaking to those that trust in Jesus here this morning, I want to remind you afresh, as I tend to do that, there is no one on their deathbed who says, I should have paid more attention to my work. No one. There's no one on the deathbed who says, oh, I should have put in more hours at work. Now that I'm dying, I wish I had attended that meeting. That would have changed everything. No. I tell you what people say on their deathbed. They say, I'm going to meet Jesus. I have nothing to leave these people. They're going to face many challenges. I wish I had surrendered to Jesus more. I'm hoping, I'm praying that my family had seen how I've lived, the life I've lived for Jesus. So I just want you this morning to take a look at your life. And just assess your priorities. Get your focus on investing in Jesus, in what truly lasts. Well, let's rejoin the women. They are on their way to the tomb there uh, in verse 2. So the women there, they are brokenhearted. They have reached the tomb of Jesus. And as soon as they see it, their problems multiply. Look at verse 2 to verse 4. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. You see, the tomb where Jesus was buried belonged to this wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea. We looked at him last week. And like all expensive tombs in first century Israel, it was quarried out of a rock. When Joseph buried Jesus in the tomb, he actually sealed it with a large secular stone. But we also know from the book of Matthew that that was not the end. So on Friday, they put this stone there. Jesus is inside. He's locked away, right? That's the barrier. Well, on Saturday, the religious leader asked Pilate to seal it even more, right? They were saying, look, people might come and steal his body or the disciples may be up to no good. So just seal it. Make sure it happens. That's what happened on, um, on Saturday. And Pilate, of course, on Saturday also posted soldiers there to keep guard, to ensure that nothing happens to the tomb. But we see here that when the women arrive, they find that the sealed tomb is wide open, right? And to make matters worse, they have unexpected visitors. Let's read in verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. In fact, Luke in his account tells us that there are two angels when the women arrive. But Mark here is focusing on the most prominent angel. He's more concerned, actually, Mark, because it's very brief, he's more concerned not with the detail of what's there, he's just concerned with the content, what the angel says. And what the angel says is shocking. Look at verse 6. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. When I think about these words, they are surely the most sweetest words in all human history. Because the Bible is telling us that death visited our Lord Jesus, as it would do to you, as it does to everyone. And death held Jesus down for three days, as the Jews count days, right? It held him down for three days. But death 
was not the end for Jesus. It could not keep him down there. Our Lord grabbed death by the throat and he wrestled it to the ground and he killed death for us. And have you noticed how the angel puts the crucifixion of Jesus next to his resurrection? Did you notice that in verse 6? Here's what he says. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. What does the angel say? The angel is saying that Jesus has been vindicated by God. You see, the human and spiritual powers of evil unjustly killed our Lord Jesus Christ. They danced on his grave, we might say. They were so happy that Jesus had died. They thought that they had won. But the angel says, look, take a look. He is not here. He has risen. Jesus has had the last word. You live and die. But Jesus died and lives forevermore. Jesus was condemned for blasphemy, right? Because he claimed to be God. And they killed him for that. Now he is vindicated as God because God has raised his son from the dead. The resurrection single-handedly proves that Jesus is God because, you see, Jesus not only said he was going to die, he said he was going to rise. You see, the world has had many excellent figures throughout human history. But when we look at all of the great figures in human history, all of them, since creation, they all have one thing in common. They all lived, they all died, and they're still dead. They're still dead. Except our Lord Jesus Christ. He's unique because he's our risen king. Now we're living in a world of, full of chaos. People don't know where to turn for help in these times we're living in. Brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you that now is a good time in these times that we are living in to remind ourselves what sets Jesus apart from anyone else. What sets Christianity apart, true Christianity, from all other religion? And what sets it apart is the person of Jesus. Like Jesus is in the category of one. You know, someone has put it like this. Someone has said, Buddha never claimed to be God. Moses never claimed to be Yahweh. Muhammad never claimed to be Allah. Yet Jesus Christ claimed to be the true and living God. Buddha simply said, I am a teacher in search of truth. He was a searcher. Jesus said, I am the truth. Confucius said, I never claimed to be holy. That's what Confucius said. I never claimed to be holy. Jesus said, Who convicts me of sin? Muhammad said, Unless God throws his cloak of mercy over me, I have no hope. Jesus said, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. And most importantly, we see here that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, we do not worship a dead Lord. We are not here this morning to revere an honorable teacher from the past. That's what this is about. 
We are not here to keep the spirit of a dead leader alive. Keep Jesus alive. No, we worship Jesus Christ. A living being. The one who said in John, who said in Revelation 1 verse 18, which we read, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look. He says, and now look. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. That is death and the grave. And you know what? You sitting here this morning is actually living proof that our Lord Jesus rose from the dead. Why do I say that? Well, because we're here on a Sunday, not a Saturday. Do you remember that the Jews met for worship on the seventh day of the week? They met on a Saturday. They did that to remember that when God created the world, he rested on the seventh day. So they met for worship on the seventh day of the week, on a Saturday. But we are meeting on a Sunday. Why? Because of what he says there, very early on the first day of the week. You see, since Jesus rose from the dead, the early Christians have mapped that with meeting together. That's why we meet on a Sunday. We meet on a Sunday because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. But what's the significance of that? Well, the rising of Jesus from the dead, you see, marks the beginning of a new creation. God now is making all things new. God's new work has begun in Jesus. And so we meet on the first day of the week. And you know what? Every time we come into the chapel on Sunday morning to worship Jesus, we are declaring to the world that Jesus lived, he died, and lives again. And by the way, that's why the devil doesn't want anyone meeting on a Sunday. Because he doesn't want that message proclaimed. Because he knows us by mere ass meeting, we are recognized that Jesus is the living one. He's present among us. And that this is the day he rose from the dead. But more than that, we are saying that Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, anyone who trusts in him has a new relationship with God. Listen to what the angel says in verse 7. The message of the angel in verse 7 is this. But God tells his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The nitty-gritty of this verse is that Jesus has died, risen from death, to be with his disciples. He is risen so that they can be with him now in a new way. They knew him before he died. Now Jesus is saying, I've come to be among you now that I've risen. Now, that seems interesting, isn't it? Because we should read those words, you see, the angel says, alongside the words of Jesus that he gave them at the Mount of Olives before he was with them together for the last time. Do you remember that? From Mark chapter 14, verse 26 to verse 28. Uh, we, re we read this. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd... And the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. 
So that's why Jesus said at the Mount of Olives before he was arrested. You see, a few hours after that, of course, he was arrested and put to death. But in fact, a few hours after that, the disciples just scattered away from him, right? Including Peter. Peter abandoned Jesus. He denied Jesus. God, you see, had struck his shepherd, Jesus, and the sheep fled. Just as Jesus said at the Mount of Olives. But now Jesus is alive. And he is going to regather his sheep, he's saying, just as he promised. And this regathering of the sheep in Galilee is, is what we might call an acted parable. By that I mean it is a real event that has meaning far beyond simply meeting up for coffee in Galilee. Right? It is teaching us that Jesus is in fact God our shepherd who has come to gather these rebellious sinners by his grace through his death and resurrection. And we see that this regathering is by grace, isn't it? Because the grace of God here is displayed in two ways. It is not, he's not regathering them because they deserve it. No, he's regathering them because God is showing undeserved favor to them. And we see this in two ways. The first thing is we hear it in the words of the angel. Look at verse 7 again. But God tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Jesus is saying, I am alive to give sinners like Peter a fresh start with God. I am offering grace to these guys who abandoned me. Tell them I've come for them. It doesn't depend on them. I'm going to be with them by my grace. Including Peter who let me down so deeply compared to the others. Secondly, we see the grace of God here by what Mark says in verse 8. In this final verse. Look at verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, this final verse has puzzled many of us, right? When we read it. Uh, partly we are puzzled when we read that as a final verse to Mark in this shorter ending because we know actually that the women later on plucked up enough courage and eventually told the apostles what had happened. So we know that. So that puzzled us a little bit. Why would Mark end it like a sort of a downbeat like that? That's one thing that puzzles us. But the bigger reason that verse puzzles us is that we would prefer Mark to say more. We are like, come on, this can't be the ending of Mark. You've got to say more to us. And maybe verse 9 to 20 are part of the original work of Mark. I'm not here to debate that with you. That's a discussion for another time. But what I want to say, the point I'm trying to make is that whatever we think of verse 9 to verse 20, it does not change the fundamental meaning of verse 8. We still have to ask ourselves, what does verse 8 mean? And I think what verse 8 is about is that Mark really wants us to get this. He wants us to get it that despite the faithfulness of these women, and they are faithful women, right? We've seen that. In the end, their walk with Jesus, just like the others, was mixed with belief and unbelief. Faith and faithlessness. We should not look at these women and think, these women deserve to be in the kingdom of God better than Peter. No. Because not only did these women and the disciples not expect Jesus to rise from the dead. Remember, they're going there to anoint someone they think is dead, even though Jesus said was going to rise. 
But they also failed initially to do what the angel of God commanded them. That's what Mark is getting at. And the reason Mark says that it reinforces the overall message of the book of Mark, which is this. No one deserves to be a follower of Jesus. No one is fit for the kingdom of God. We are not here in church because we are better than the world outside. We are not trusting in Jesus because we have a better record. No one is fit to come before God. All of our deeds, they are like filthy rags before God. And this is the good news of Jesus, isn't it? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. The sins, he was crushed in our place. We are only Christians because Jesus died for us. And he rose from the dead, not because we deserve it. He rose from the dead to give us new life. A new start with God by grace. And this is a message of the resurrection, isn't it? The message of the resurrection is the message of the kingdom of God, which Mark has been underlining throughout. It is that God in Jesus has come by grace to forgive us and restore us to himself. And if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, this is good news for you. Because the good news is that you have already got new life with God. Because Jesus died for you and you surrendered your life to trust in him. All your filthy stains of sins have been wiped clean. Your past, present and future has been nailed to the cross of Jesus. God now lives inside your heart forever. And you live in God. Jesus is now your life. And if you like, your life is his life, right? Your future is intertwined now with his future. You see, because Jesus is alive, when you die, you will be with God. And the time is coming when Jesus will raise you from the dead, because all of us die, but the time is coming when Jesus will raise you from the dead to be physically with him in the new heavens and the new earth. The Bible tells us that God is ushering in a new world. The new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. And if you're trusting in Jesus, you will live with him in this new world. And when you rise in this new world, you have a new body like Jesus. You will think like Jesus. You will feel like Jesus. You will love like Jesus. You will talk like Jesus. And you see Jesus our God face to face. And because Jesus died, you see, and is alive, you shall... You shall Never again die. Never again will you suffer. Never again will you sin. This is the new beginning that the resurrection of Jesus brings for us. If you are trusting in Jesus this morning, you are already in the newness of life. A life that will be fully completed in the world to come. If you are truly trusting in Jesus, if you know you're, you are a sinner and you have come before God and you've repented of your sin, you've surrendered your life to him. Not just a tick box exercise, but you acknowledge that you are a sinner and that the cross of Jesus is the only basis for you to be with God. You believe, you trust in him, you've cried out to him in repentance and God has given you a new life. Well, you are in the kingdom, aren't you? 
And that life you've got in Jesus will be complete. And if you haven't done that, then you need to acknowledge your sin this morning and come to him and repent of your sin before him. And if you've already done that, then you rejoice, isn't it, in this life that Christ has given. And you look forward to that completed life in the world to come. You see, the apostles had abandoned Jesus. They had been hiding in a bunker somewhere, right? They had been living like their master would never rise again. So when the angel appeared to the women on Sunday morning, he gave them this message, didn't he? You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But God tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. He is saying to them, things have now changed forever. The master and king is no longer dead. He is alive forevermore. Tell tell them that the tomb of Joseph, which was filled with our Lord Jesus, is now empty. And because the tomb is empty, they now have a fresh start with God. Grace has come in the person of Jesus. And they will see this grace in Galilee when they see him. Because they are now the people of the risen king. Tell them that this is how they must see themselves from now on. They must see themselves as individuals who have conquered death itself in Jesus. They must see themselves as people who belong to a better world. The world of a risen Christ as our king. Of dazzling angels in festal gathering. Beloved, this is... The message of the angel. And it's the message of the angel to the disciples. And it's the message of the angels to us today who trust in Jesus. If you're trusting in Jesus today, you must think of yourself as alive in Jesus. And you must let this truth shape how you live every day. See, no matter how long you have worked with Jesus, no matter how long you've worked with him, you know there are moments in life, situations in life, when you doubt you have life with God. Sometimes you stumble in sin like Peter. And after, after struggle with sin, you repent from it. But then doubts creep in, don't they? Do I really have life with God? Sometimes you find yourself in a difficult trial, right? Just trial. Life gets up on you. And the devil starts whispering, look, if you're a believer, why is God letting this happen to you? Beloved, The truth of the resurrection is this, is there for you. It is your river of comfort. God is saying, if you have truly repented and believed in the kingdom of God, believed in Jesus, you are in the kingdom of God. If God has given you a new life that has resulted in a change of direction, if you have a desire to live for Jesus, there's no reason for you to despair. There's no reason for you to doubt in whatever situation. Jesus has called you to himself. He has died and risen for you. Why then doubt? Is that let this truth deepen your love for Jesus. As we come to the end of Mark, I mean, if you remember anything from the last two years from Mark, remember this truth. Remember that Jesus has moved heaven and earth to seek you out. That you were once outside his kingdom, like the rest of the world. You were happily hostile to God, like Herod, Pilate, and the Sanhedrin. But Jesus came for you in that one-way love pursuit of his. He convinced you of your sin, he made you repent, and he dished out amazing grace. 
Your relationship with God has always been a one-way love from God to you. It is all down to God. That's what Mark has been teaching us. You contribute nothing. It is all grace. And sometimes you forget that, don't you? You forget that you're only in Jesus because Jesus perseveres with you. And if that's you, beloved, I just want to say, look, think of the many times you have rejected Jesus, even now as someone who trusts in Jesus. Think how how often you have gone back to the spiritual vomit of sin in so many ways. And yet Jesus is saying to you, we are stuck together. Join that the hip, spiritual hip, as it were. Beloved, there is no one like the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to your rescue. He loves you and he's still loving you in Jesus. So let this truth of the resurrection not only comfort you, but let it make you cry out to Jesus for you to love him more and more, to live for him, to serve him. Surely, our wonderful risen king deserves nothing less, isn't it? And what a privilege it is to have Jesus as our king. To him alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.